Hello and welcome again to the Life on the Inside podcast with health expert Elizabeth Mucci. Here we continue our ongoing discussion about changing the way we think about our life, our health and ourselves through integrative medicine. I'm Lauren Cress. Welcome to our third Life on the Inside podcast episode. I have Elizabeth Mucci here with me again today, and we're going to be talking about the five infertility myths that Elizabeth sees with her patients quite often. But before we get into that, we just wanted to spend a little bit of time explaining more about life on the inside and who Elizabeth Mucci is. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. Could we start with just you explaining a little bit about how you work and what you do? So I take care of general health in a lot of people. Um, and I also uh, tend to do a lot of chronic diseases and autoimmune diseases. They're some of the areas I sort of work with. But my specialty is infertility. That's where I, you know, I have a master's in reproductive medicine and um, the majority of people that I would see are couples, probably 70% of the people I see will be couples that are struggling with fertility or are wanting to prepare themselves because of their age to have the best baby that they feel that they could have or they've been trying for a period of time they haven't gone down the IVF road but they want to try something more natural first before they go down the IVF road and see if what they can sort of do to improve their fertility they would be the the main areas Uh, commonly people have had multiple miscarriages so even though they've gone down the IVF road they might want to figure out what, why are they having these miscarriages, why are they having um, multiple def- defects time and time again uh, when they miscarry, you know, and they've checked the embryo and they've realised there was a trisomy or a uh, Turner syndrome or something else and they're trying to avoid that um, for future pregnancy. So, you know, usually they're coming to me with a problem but some people come in preparation before they even try. The majority of the people that I work with uh, will fall pregnant by either um, natural means or I might work alongside IVF for them to, to fall pregnant if I, if I feel that that's, that's the option we need to sort of go. So how did you actually come... I know you've just said that uh, you did a Master's in Reproductive Medicine. What led you down that path? So you work in general health as well. Can you just explain a little bit about your kind of journey, I guess, into the healthcare profession? Mm, I started off with a science degree um, where I had a, a, I got a double major in biochemistry and physiology. And I, in doing that, there, you know, during the process of doing the science degree, I realised there were areas in there that really sort of took uh, an interest, I took an interest in. Um, I did uh, reproductive health and social issues was one of them with a a brilliant professor and she was bringing up a lot of issues that were being um, she couldn't actually get people to listen to her she was saying that a lot of people were basically closing the door on her even though she had lots of studies around it they were things that we could take control of they were things that we could improve our health and therefore have a have a better outcome and that really took an I really took an interest in that so therefore once I completed the degree I realized I didn't want to be a scientist in a laboratory I sort of started thinking well how do I get more into this where I can actually have 
um, use my knowledge to help people's biochemistry, help their physiology, solve problems, because I love solving problems. And then, um, so I looked down the road of natural medicine and where that could sort of take me and, and what, what was that and how limited was it. Um, so I went down herbal medicine, did that, and nutritional science and did, it, uh, did that as well. And then in doing that, um, worked with um, a, a naturopath that had started, you know, specialises in fertility um, and thought, yeah, I could see the limitations there as well, but it, I could see there was some really good outcomes and I could see there were areas if we could just bring a few more things in there, I could polish up some some areas and try and work on that. And then I, I started getting, you know, very high success rates and that was really exciting, but I still felt like there was an area that I really needed to zone in a little bit more. So I did my Master's in Reproductive Medicine and that allowed me to just see the limitations that were out there with medicine, um, what they had sort of said, if only we could do this. We know it can happen. If only we could do this and manipulate a woman's body a certain way or manipulate um, a system a certain way, then we probably will get a better outcome. And at the time that I'd done that, I realised actually I had been able to do that in a lot of the, the couples that I was working with and so combining the two all of a sudden success rates went up much higher I could deal with much more difficult problems uh, so that was really exciting for me and that's sort of where I'm at now a lot of the people come to me as their last resort a lot of people come to me quite old in the fertility world so most of my couples are probably 36 to 46 um, they've done IVF, most of them. They've, uh, they're at their wit's end. They're sitting with timelines. They're saying their egg reserves are running out. And, and it's really exciting because I sort of often can get, um, you know, some of their little... They're, they're, they've got some problems that maybe were either hidden or not investigated and then just polish that up and, and then we get... Uh, most of the time we get a pregnancy. So it's very exciting. Which leads perfectly into our topic for today, which is five infertility myths that you see quite a lot from the, the patients that you're seeing, mm. sort of um, things that people are led to believe. So let's just launch straight into the first fertility myth you have here, which is we're just one of those couples that can't have kids. What are you, what are you seeing with that? With that myth... I think it, the prevalence of it is a lot less than what we're seeing. I think um, in our society we're quite quick to jump to some of these statements before really looking down the road of other things that could be having an impact. So yes, there, is, there are some couples that just can't have kids. So they may have, for instance, a situation where their cells... Um, their eggs or the sperm are not actually creating spindle fibres. They're not the the actual DNA division is not working, and so um, it doesn't matter what they do, it's not working, and so you just you know you're not developing eggs. You're not developing the way that they're not actually maturing. So um, there are other people that have eggs that aren't maturing, but they are developing spindles. So they are actually doing some of the stuff, but they're actually, there's a group of people that do really, really poorly on the IVF drugs. 
And so they were in my room on herbs um, and nutrients. They're doing really well. So they actually produce lots of follicles and, you know, we're scanning them and everything's great. And then uh, for whatever reason, some of some of my couples have to go IVF. So, for instance, um, the, the male might not ejaculate sperm. He's got sperm, but I need IVF to actually extract it from his testes so that we can actually get an embryo formed. Or the whim, uh, some of the women might not have tubes. They've had two ectopic pregnancies or they might, be, they might have had their um, tubes removed because they were diseased. And so I have to use IVF. So they've come to me from IVF. It's not worked. We then deal with some of their problems. They go back to IVF and it works and they get some really amazing results and pregnancies and they get to have really high quality embryos. So it's not, but it's not that the IVF drugs are affecting everyone. So the second myth I have here is our infertility is unexplained. And here I've got some notes that you believe there's quite a lot of poor investigation that leads to sort of quote unquote unexplained mm. infertility. In my experience, I haven't yet come across someone, I can honestly say this, that has an, a fertility issue that's unexplained. So they come to me, couples will come to me saying that, saying we've tried everything um, from acupuncturists to um, naturopaths to the drugs available, fertility drugs, um, uh, all sorts of levels of IVF. Uh, PGD testing, where they've tested the, the embryos, genetic makeup, um, all of that. And still, I still have found that I've managed to find problems in these couples. And a lot of them go on to have children. So some of these, will, these situations will depend on what sort of investigation has happened in that sort of um, couple and whether or not the investigations are the type of investigations that IVF might look at. So, um, you know, I think that's sort of limiting these couples with, oh, it's sort of unexplained, we don't know, they're just saying that, you know, that that's where you're at. With me, uh, there are a lot of grey areas that at the moment, you know, certain situations, are, certain conditions are sitting in these grey areas where uh, it's actually quite difficult to prove black and white in a fertility sort of situation, um, especially when we know things can cause an issue or a problem in a pregnant woman in some cases. Mm -hmm. So to actually sort of do trials and go, well, we know this infection can actually cause a problem, but we don't know if it always causes a problem. So often what I have found, um, there'll be a lot of little micromanagement that needs to happen with these couples, and then we get the pregnancies. Can you, can you give us an example of a condition where you're, I know you said infection, but can you give us an example of a condition where there is some evidence that uh, it's problematic? but it's not necessarily enough for it to be a black and white. We have to get rid of this. So, for instance, endometriosis will be a classic, classical sort of situation where you will have women that fall pregnant with endometriosis. Um, endometriosis also can increase the chances of miscarriage. Um, but there will be women out there 
uh, that will fall pregnant with endometriosis. However, it might take them years to fall pregnant with endometriosis or it, it might put them at higher risk of other sorts of things um, or it just literally might make them be infertile until they get rid of it. So it's one of those things because endometriosis tends to be associated with severe pain and a whole heap of other very typical symptoms. A lot of women are um, not realising that they might have the disease. So it might not be pain. It might not be uh, severe bleeding uh, or heavy bleeding, you know, um, or spotting for a long period of time. They might not have the classic but their symptom is infertility. And so when it's removed, then they fall pregnant. So when you talk to um, the surgeons that remove the endometriosis, you'll see that they will have plenty of um, patients that removed it and went on to fall pregnant. And I guess that kind of leads into the, the third uh, fertility myth quite well, which is we're old, we have to use IVF. Mm. So what has been found is a lot of women past the age of about 38, if they've not ever had a child, will have a higher chance of endometriosis being present. And so, um, and that's just the one example. So, you know, often women are thinking they're old and that's why they're not falling pregnant. But actually it might be something as simple, of, as, simple as they've got endometriosis and they're not removing that and they could have fallen pregnant if they just removed it. And so, um, or other things like polyps and, you know, the health of the eggs, of course, will have an impact. But we're looking at then what is also impacting on the health of the eggs. You know, there are all these areas that are actually very difficult to prove, um, black and white, that yes, this is actually causing an issue. You know, they did a study um, a while back where it was a religious group and in this group, they basically get married as virgins, both the husband and the wife, quite young, and they have babies until they can't have babies anymore. And so they looked at this group and uh, they realised the stats were really different compared to our stats that we were getting for infertility. So if you're getting married as virgins, uh, there's going to be a lot less infection that's been introduced to that couple. So they go through this process of starting to have children, which is also going to uh, reduce the amount of egg loss. So their egg reserve will be higher at the end of you know, their fertility sort of life. And pregnancy tends to reduce the chances of endometriosis. So there's all those things that are happening in this group as well. Where it was interesting is when we give these these definitions um, that, you know, past the age of 40, your eggs are quite old and they're, they're not performing really well. Roughly you're at about a 5% chance of falling pregnant around the age of 40. But in this group, only 17% of the women had lost their fertility. So that was 83% of people are still falling pregnant at 40 years old. And then down the track when they got to 45, we give people a 0.5% chance of falling pregnant. In this group, only 33% of their women had stopped falling pregnant. So 67% of their women are still quite fertile at 45 years old. So if the eggs are an issue and it's just part of the ageing process, well, they're not ageing any differently. They are still, they've got the same lifespan as what we do, but they've got other things that they're sort of exposed to so you know good community 
there's there's a, a, you know because they're part of a whole community so psychologically they would be getting supported um, but also the fact that they've had babies endometriosis would be a lot less so they've got you know their infection rates are a lot less so there's all these other impacts that are impacting us that wouldn't necessarily be impacting them but as far as the age of the eggs go their age of their eggs is exactly the same as our age of the eggs. So why are their stats really different to our stats? And actually their fertility rates are quite high compared to our fertility rates in general. So that's what made me start to think, well, hang on, if we can improve our health as much as we can in our control and improve our mental state and uh, look for infections, things so that as if... You know, we can get, try and get rid of as much as we can that we may have impacted on our body. So if the woman is someone who's, and the male, is someone who they're taking it very seriously, their health very seriously, and they really clean up their health, um, I'm, success, the success rates of their fertility go up dramatically. You know, so I think that whole age thing, we really need to think about, you know, how much is this, um, the fact that we're actually aging our body, we're having an impact with our behaviour, our diet, you know, um, our our lifestyle, our stress levels. How how toxic is our environment, and what can we do to actually reduce our age? In and when I say that, I mean the average age. These all these stats are coming from the averages, but if we're in our community on an average, very stressful, um, drinking way more alcohol than we should, eating a lot more refined sugars than we should, then we need to think about that. We need to sort of deal with, well, you know, are we ageing ourselves much more quickly and therefore instead of being a 40-year-old, we're more like a 60-year-old and our body's rejecting it. It's interesting with the ageing issue, I guess, as well because, you know, the, the older you get, I guess, and you, if you want to have, have children, there's sort of a bit of a panic, you know, I'm, I'm 39, I'm 40, my partner's 50. Um, if we don't have, a, if we don't go through IVF right now, mm. you know, and it might take us a year to, to fall pregnant, then we've lost our chance, you know. So do you kind of see that panic, I guess, set in and it's how do you kind of manage that? Yeah, I do see the panic a lot. Um, that's the main thing I'm dealing with all the time because most of my women are over 36 and they're coming to me um, often had, had done, having done IVF and now thinking, I did the A-grade thing. I did the, the optimal sort of fertility thing. So if I can't fall pregnant with IVF, oh, my God, how am I going to fall pregnant? So there's this massive panic. Um, and then we go on to find a whole bunch of problems. And they actually sort of realise, oh, okay, I did have things that I didn't realise I had. Deal with those problems. And then um, the, the, the body starts to behave a lot better. Make sure you've cleaned your body. Make sure you're in good health. And then if you have to go IVF, then go IVF. So the, the fourth myth I have here is I'm a man. I'm not the problem. Yeah. Now, how often do you see this? I see it quite often um, because people have come to me from IVF. Mm -hmm. And so with IVF, because they're going to use a process, they don't often talk about 
things that are going wrong with the sperm. Um, because they're looking at, can we use this sperm for IVF? Has he got sperm or not? And if he has, then they're going to use it. And I'll often say to them, yes, because for IVF, they would look at that and say, yes, you've got some issues, but we're going to have to, oh, we're doing IVF anyway. And that's what we would do with someone that had issues. So they don't necessarily talk to him about it because, you know, there's, I mean, it's unnecessary, it's unnecessary yeah. information for, to necessarily discuss with him. So, um, and all he would be told is, yes, you need to do IVF. What I'm looking at is that genetic makeup of that embryo is 50% male and 50% female. So if, if there are things that he can do to improve the DNA fragmentation of that sperm, um, the health of the sperm, the health of his body... And then often what happens is when we redo the sperm analysis, it's fantastic. The DNA fragmentation's gone from poor to excellent. Um, the sperm numbers might be greater or the defect um, numbers are much less. And they get much higher quality embryos or they fall pregnant um, naturally. So definitely, like to say, it's not them. Um, you know, you're looking at half the genetic makeup is them. And in fact... The sperm is so much smaller than the egg, so often it's defected much more easily, which is why the testes are on the outside of the body, to keep them cooler so that you're not destroying sperm. Um, it's not as uh, resilient. No, no way. Nowhere near as resilient. It's, it's much smaller. And so, you know, heat and um, wearing tight you know, clothing and things like that can have an impact, deforming sperm, and then you're trying to fall pregnant with sperm that's deformed. I see sperm a bit like the, the canary down the mine shaft. It really is that the first sort of thing the body goes, what can I, if I'm not well, what can I sort of pull back on so that I can look after the things that are more important to my body? Sperm's not that important to somebody's body. It's something that's an extra. It's a reproductive. It's looking outside of your body. And it's really nutritious. So it becomes an area that you can pull nutrients from. And um, so being someone that's really healthy really does have an impact on how, how healthy that sperm is as well. So the final myth I have here is I've been tested for everything. There's absolutely nothing else to investigate here yeah this would be probably the most common thing that i hear mm -hmm. um couples will often say to me um oh I've, I've done everything i've done this for years i've i've done ivf for six seven years eight mm, years wow. um i've done everything i've done operations i've done laparoscopies i've done i've done it all and um, there's no, they tell me that there's nothing else we can do. And I still, in those cases, I still find that there's stuff that they can do. And still, in most of those cases, I get pregnancies. So it's more about looking at, you know, when someone says everything, what does that actually mean? And so often... I'll see a range. So someone might come to me saying, we've done everything, and actually they've done very little. The investigation has been very, very little. No laparoscopies done. Um, no one... I've had someone who actually... One of my patients who had a baby at 44, by the time she had the baby, had said exactly this. 
that's what can happen. Mm. People think they've done everything and actually there might be lots to do. So she had stage four endometriosis. She was 43, had that removed. First go with IVF when we sort of, I said, yep, everything's right now, you're ready to go. She was pregnant, had a very healthy little baby boy at 44 years old. Um, it actually had to do with endometriosis. And that's what can happen. Often it depends on what doctor you're talking to, what their belief systems are, you know, that sort of thing. It's, it's a tricky, it's, a, it's a, quite a tricky sort of area. Um, it just depends on the opinion. So, but normally I will find there'll be something that I would look for that maybe another doctor or another person wouldn't look for and then that's cleared up and off they go and fall pregnant. I guess the big thing that I've kind of taken away from this discussion is that there really isn't a silver bullet to any of this either. Mm. You know, it's something that I guess like in a similar way to a lot of chronic conditions in the body, mm -hmm. it's multifaceted. Exactly. So if one thing's going wrong, you, can, you might be able to get away with it. If you're young and maybe you have an infection, you know, but you've got lots of eggs, maybe you'll be okay. Mm. But then if you start compacting all of those things exactly. together. So you're you're older and you have endometriosis and you have an infections and Exactly. Then it starts to become something that, yeah, if you don't do anything about it, you do have very little chance. That's of. a really good point actually. What that is something that I do find. It's the older a couple gets, they're less resilient. It's like the aging process has had also a, a much more of an impact on us and our body and the biochemistry. So it's like fertility is is dropped a lot quicker. It's like, mm -hmm. yep, forget that. Um, where if you're younger, um, besides hormones being, you know, great, but there are older women that have high estrogens and their linings, fantastic in the uterus. They've got everything going, but it's like if they've got a chronic disease maybe, then it's having an impact. If they've got something else. So it's like we want to sort of support that so that she can fall pregnant. Um it's not necessarily the fertility you're supporting directly, but you might be supporting something else in the body that's sabotaging fertility. And that's where, because it's multifaceted, it's difficult. And also the ageing process then has an impact on that disease as well, the other diseases that are going on in the body and the nutrient levels, um, you know, and how much you exercise and it, whether or not you've got an injury and you can't sort of do as much or an inflammatory disease that's now having a different impact on the body, you know. So, and different people and different genetic makeup, you know, so uh, other people will be really resilient to a whole heap of things, which is why we might see somebody who has smoked all their life, diet 90, and someone else smokes for three years and gets lung cancer. You know, that we do have this in our society. We've got people that are more resilient to things than others. It isn't just a hard and fast rule. It's, it's not like that. And that's why you really need a practitioner. You really need someone that's um, going to really put the time and energy into knowing you, knowing your body, and, you know, really looking carefully at what you've done and investigating further. Elizabeth, thank you again for your time today. My pleasure as always. We'll speak again soon. All right. Fantastic.